Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is Internet of Things with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to shake up the status quo in your company's future with totally new sources of information that will change the way you run your business. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. And if you want to run with the Game Changers, we know you're in the right place. This is the Internet of Things with Game Changers Radio, and our topic today Building the Internet of Things, it takes a village. Oh, you all know, at least in the U.S., where that quote comes from, but we're not going to get political, I promise. We're just talking IoT, so let's get started. The buzz today, side by side. Uh Uh-huh, village working together, you get it. A successful Internet of Things project, we're going to refer to that as IoT, encompasses a broad set of technologies, from the physical hardware and connectivity to data management and analytics, why we have to drive visualizations, insights, and ultimately good business outcomes. Isn't that what it's all about? Hey, breaking news. A single company, a single entity, a single organization cannot do it all alone. So how are the IoT ecosystem players partnering, the ones who are successful, who are doing it well, who figured it out, how are they partnering to overcome the challenges and bring solutions to market? This is our challenge for today. We have a panel of three experts. Let me just tell you quickly who they are, and then I'll start introducing them. Our panel today includes Jason Shepard, Director of Strategy and Partnerships for Dell's IoT division. Also joining us today will be Fred Yens, SVP and COO at Telit, T-E-L-I-T. And they're joined by Brian Hicks, who works on go-to-market for IoT solution predictive maintenance and services at SAP. So first up, I'm going to introduce Jason Shepard with a wonderful quote Jason sent me from the musician Beck. I'm sure our younger viewers know who Beck is, but just a little background. He was born Beck, B-E-K, David Campbell in 1970, known by the stage name Beck. He's an American singer, songwriter, producer, and multi-instrumentalist who rose to fame in the early 1990s with his lo-fi, sonically experimental style. His later recordings encompassed folk, funk, soul, hip-hop, alternative rock, country, and psychedelia. He released 12 studio albums, some non-album singles, and a book of sheet music. Let's just stop there. And here is the quote Jason has sent us. Quoting Beck, I enjoy the collaboration. I always envied people in bands who got to have that interaction. I've done so many albums where I've been in the studio 14 hours a day, six months, just trying to come up with things on my own. It's a nice change helping other people with their music and not being all about what I'm trying to do myself. Long quote, but worth the read. Jason Shepard, welcome. How are you? I'm good, Bonnie. Thanks. Yeah, so, Thanks for uh, joining us. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, so I, uh, you know, I, I, I was traveling this week, so peeking in the Sky Mall, saw some, some of the good inspirational quotes in the middle. I had to go you know, pick a quote for, for this, but then you know, came across this <laughs> Beck quote, and it really um, it resonates with me because I've, I've played music for a long time, and, you know, you know, like Beck or not, you know, he's very prolific, and he transcends a lot of genres, and, it, and he does a lot of his stuff on his own, but then this quote you know, is really about, you know, the power of collaborating with other people. And that's what I've really enjoyed when I play music is, you know, I, I do things, you, you write, you play different instruments, but when you get together with a band and do stuff in the moment and kind of mm-hmm. feel that energy in the moment and play off of different people's strengths, that's when you really get new, 
you know, kind of innovation, so to speak. So it, it really resonated with me as this parallel to partnerships and business, and uh, especially in new types of um, uh, markets where things are, are are really really fuzzy. I like to call this the fuzz on the fuzzy front end, and um, <laughs> you know, it's just it's just so early, but there's so many great things that we can do, and that's why it's it's so important to be working with other people that can spark that different you know um, different th- uh, thinking around in, you know, innovative ways to solve the problems that we're facing, but also there's just so much noise. There's so much, so much good thinking that's happening um, with, with all the different platforms and all the different approaches to the market that it's really paralyzing for end customers. So that's, you know, kind of feeding back in. Is it's, it's important to work with people, um, you know, drive those innovations, but then also have um, you know, the ability to help customers kind of uh, work through all the noise and find the right things for their uh, their solutions. Um, you know, the, the quote really resonated, which is, you know, the power of collaboration and, and kind of mm-hmm. you know, how refreshing it can be that, that you don't try to do everything on your own and you go approach things uh, from a, a new angle and, and um, you know, that value of partnerships, which is so important in this space. You know, and our, uh, we are very much so at Dell. Like, it's, it's uh, you know, I totally agree. There's no single company that can do this all on their own. It's, it's extremely important to play to each other's strengths. I would love to sell you the whole pie, but I'm happy to sell you a slice. You know that that's that's the you know kind of our our mantra here, and, and you know, you know, bringing in these different partners throughout the solution stack is is uh, a big part of our go to market. Thank you, Jason. I have a quick question before I move on to introduce Fred Yen to tell it. My question for you is: How do you know when you have the right partners who will make, pardon the metaphor, but the right kind of noise? You mentioned bands, music collaboration, interaction. So, ecosystem parties is great to go up to a company, say, "Hey, we're company A, you're company B. Let's get together and make beautiful music." But does it always happen on the first try? No, no. I mean, you know, and it's stuff. It's stuff that you have to develop um, over time. But you know, you when you work with people, I mean, a lot of it's not just about the, you know, certainly the technology. Um, you know, it's it's about how do you go to market and how do you how do you capture the essence of a customer need? Like, what are you really trying to do? And and that's what you know we're finding. It's really separating you know people is is their ability to go after those really targeted use cases and go make stuff happen. Versus you know, just saying, hey, look, you know, look what I can do from a technology standpoint. So that, that's where the partnerships really start taking off. Thank you very much. And we'll dive much more deeply into this whole concept of partnership and ecosystem getting together, marrying people, if you will, in the context of IoT later in the show. Thank you, Jason. Pleasure to meet you. And let's now introduce formally Fred Yentz, Y-E-N-T-Z. He's the Senior VP and COO at Tellit. And Fred has sent me a quote from Klaus Schwab. Uh, if you don't know the name, you should. If you've never heard of the World Economic Forum, you should. I know you've all heard of Davos. Well, Klaus Schwab is the founder and chairman of the World Economic Forum, and he was born in 1938. He happens to be a German engineer and economist who founded the World Economic Forum as a not-for-profit foundation committed to improving the state of the world. He later built it into today's global partnership of business, political and intellectual leaders. And interestingly enough, he married his former secretary, Hilda, Hilde, H-I-L-D-E, and they together founded the Schwab Foundation for Social Entrepreneurship, a nonprofit based in Geneva, Switzerland. So let's just stop there. And here is the quote Fred has selected. We stand on the brink of a technological revolution that will fundamentally alter the way we live, work, and relate to one another in its scale, scope and complexity. 
the transformation will be unlike anything humankind has experienced before. Well, Fred, I feel like I'm standing on top of a mountain making a pronouncement. I wish I could do it in the, in the, uh, the voice of Klaus Schwab. How are you, Fred Jens? Hey, I'm great, Bonnie. Thank you. And you are on top of the mountain right now. <laughs> <laughs> this is a great quote. It's a fabulous quote. And he used big words like humankind and brink of technological revolution, fundamentally alter. This is good stuff. Fred, are you, how familiar are you with Mr. Schwab and, and uh, the World Economic Have you ever been to Davos, Fred? I have not, and that's a shame. I need to uh, I need to rearrange my life a little bit and get some priorities yeah. in order. But uh, let me tell you, I think though this this quote fits the theme of the of the talk completely today, the discussion, because it's it's a pretty big, overreaching discussion here, and and I don't think any one one company or one person can do it all if it's going to fundamentally reach everything we do and, and how we work, live, play, etc. So I am. Uh, I'm a big believer of of watching the world change and enjoying that and being part of it. Uh, you know, in our generation, I'm I'm 52. Uh, and I've been working in the industry for a while, and I saw you know personal computing come on board, and wow, it changed the way people did things. And then we saw you know broadband uh, communications and data broadband and mobility. Wow, that changed the way the world worked. But IoT is really kind of mashing up both of those, and it's going to affect everybody. In every business, every person, there's going to be, uh, you know, emotional reactions to what IoT can bring to businesses and personal uh, use cases. So it's, it's an exciting, exciting time to be in this space. And, uh, you know, to the, to the point that, that Jason made earlier, uh, it's a great time to collaborate with smart people that understand the opportunities. Absolutely, and and thank you again for. And the funny thing is, I'm trying to think. Yesterday we did a show on on our flagship show, Fred, the Coffee Break with Game Changers, and we were talking about the fourth industrial revolution. The topic was digital manufacturing powering the fourth industrial revolution. And I had a, a feeling that there was a fifth probably in the works. I must have heard about it. So I googled fifth industrial revolution, and I found an article by Klaus Schwab. Yes, there is a fifth industrial revolution. And I read the article. I tweeted the link to the article. I can't remember which, uh, which it might have been in the Huffington Post, actually. And after the show, we had such a good discussion. I invited the panel back for part three of the same discussion. And instead of talking fourth, we're talking fifth. So I said, I know somebody has quoted Klaus Schwab on one of our shows this week. And it was you, Fred Yen. So thank you very much for, for that <laughs> sort of link, the dotted line between me and Klaus and you and, and, uh, the, the revolution. So thank you very much good to have you on board fred and now let's bring on our third panelist it's brian hicks he spells his first name b-r-y-a-n if you're looking for him h-i-c-k-s he's the go-to-market for iot solution predictive maintenance and services at sap and brian has sent me a quote from mark d weiser w-e-i-s-e-r who happens to be the chief scientist at xerox park p-a-r-c in the u.s and here is just a little background brian if you'll allow me mark uh, mark D. Weiser is widely considered to be the father of ubiquitous computing, a term he coined way back in 1988. And there are principles to this. It's not just a fancy term, ubiquitous computing. The purpose of a computer is to help you do something. The best computer is a quiet, invisible servant. 
The more you can do by intuition, the smarter you are. The computer should extend your unconscious. And the fourth one, which is crazy interesting, is technology should create calm. And in fact, Weiser and John Seeley Brown designed something called calm technology, that which informs but does not demand our focus or attention. So here's the quote Brian has selected from Mark Weiser. The most profound technologies are those that disappear They weave themselves into the fabric of everyday life until they are indistinguishable from it. Brian Hicks, welcome. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you. Thanks for joining us. I am a technologist at heart, and so um, always some of the great um, research centers in the U.S. back in the day, and Xerox Park was certainly one of them. And I think that quote is very applicable to the Internet of Things because not only is I think it's an enabler for doing that. I think all of the best technologies have have disappeared in that way and just become part of normal day life. And I think the Internet of Things not only gives us the power to do that um, in a certain aspects of our lives, you know, whether it's industrial setting or consumer setting, but I think the stage that we're at in many cases in the Internet of Things right now is not that at all. So there's another great quote I'll do a double quote on this one. Yeah. Um, where uh, from someone online, it was uh, a small boutique consultant. He said, you know, we're going to get to the point where we have 10 to 15 different devices just notifying the hell out of us. And, and I think that's where we're at in the Internet of Things in a lot of instances. And we need to get closer to where it disappears and things begin to automatically happen and shape around us as, as technology understands what we're, what we're trying to achieve. Thank you very much. Brian, what's your thought about collaboration? In this quote, and, and Mark D. Weiser with the background, by the way, you knew all about this ubiquitous computing and comm technology, yes? Yes. Good. Oh, thank goodness. Sometimes I read trivia and they go, I didn't know that. Usually it's a very remote, <laughs> trivial piece. Uh, question is, how does this relate to what we started talking about? It takes a village, collaboration, partnership, ecosystem members, picking and choosing wisely to make beautiful music. We started out talking with Jason at Dell. Uh, so so what would Mark Weiser say about this? I, I think Mark would look at all of the different technologies and they're they're very disjointed in a lot of ways and so i think being able to piece those together is going to be a long journey but important important partnerships will be the foundation of it you know standards always develop sometimes decades after the technology is available but strong partnerships can help to start that early and connect bridge the gaps between where one company's expertise starts and then that and another ends. Thank you. I like that. Thank you very much. And uh, thanks for an interesting quote. I learned a lot. I've been in programming. I started out as a mainframe programmer back in 1978. Does anybody remember the Xerox Sigma 6 CP5 and key punching and 80 column Hollerith cards? Anybody in this call old enough to remember that? Jason, you're remember. too young. <laughs> no. Fred, do you remember? <laughs> uh, I'm not unfortunate, but a little bit. 
A little bit, okay. Well, I was the one carrying around the boxes of 2,000 cards and having an operator put them into the machine. And only once, only once in 10 years did I get a call from an operator at 3 in the morning who said, Bonnie, we had an ad band on, on instruction number 792. What do you want to do about it? It was 3 in the morning. I sat up, rubbed my eyes, didn't turn the light on. I said, hold on, go back three cards, input a zero into the console, run it again from that point. I think it'll work. I'll stay up for four minutes. If you don't call back, I'm going back to sleep. And he it ran, and he didn't call me back, and that was the end of my overnights uh, trying to solve problems. But I was a, a COBOL programmer back in the day, and you know, putting out 2,000 lines of code, just even just writing them down and key punching them was just a breeze because it was just a lovely language. So I don't know if anybody agrees or disagrees with that, but we'll leave that one on the table. Let's turn back to Jason Shepard at Dell. Jason, love to know where you're calling from today, and what are you drinking? You know, this is our part of the show, our little icebreaker called What's in Your Cup Today? Or what are you planning to drink later in the day that's interesting and exciting? Talk to us. So, yes, yeah, so I'm calling from uh, HQ in, in uh, Austin, Texas. Uh, I'm actually just south of our headquarters in Austin and uh, up in Round Rock is, is where our headquarters are. And, um, so Jamaican Blue Mountain Coffee is uh, what I would wish I was drinking right now. It's, um, uh, we've, uh, my wife and I have traveled there a number of times. We actually got married there, and uh, uh, you know, we just we love the the, the culture and and the um, the coffee is certainly tasty. It's quite expensive, so you tend to want to break it out on special occasions. But especially mm. some of these these areas where you know it's kind of like going to the country outside of like the main cities. And, and why I thought of Blue Mountain Coffee was that you know a country like Jamaica is is so. There's a lot of like really happy people, but the most of the, the country is like you know just really in poverty, and so it's mm. it's with IoT like kind of having you know the costs are coming down and it's a, it's allowing um, it, it to be a lot more accessible to new um, people. Um, you know, it really resonates there on on you know just where it can help these different countries. It can you know like they jumped over landlines straight to sell. What what can they do with these new technologies to make their their themselves more um, more efficient and you know more um, you know more productive and competitive. Um, even just last night, we had you know a, 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 an awards dinner for uh, an IoT contest that we'd run, and we had partners and customers in, and and um, lots of really great stories about applying IoT technology, different use cases, you know, throughout the world, really. And what really resonated with me with there was 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 on one hand, we're talking in the U.S. about like. You know, how do I optimize power for this? How do I get like the last little bit of efficiency mm-hmm. out of this and the other? And then, you know, uh, you know a company uh, uh, from the Philippines was like, "How do I get power? You know, how, how do I make sure my grid can can grow and support it? And then w- once my grid grows, I'm, I'm going to overshoot it. Now, how do I optimize it? And so, it's really interesting to see how the, the things you know, also not only make it more accessible, but also that the needs are different throughout the world. So, it just kind of tied back in my head to. to the fact that I like Blue Mountain Coffee from Jamaica. <laughs> well, thank you. And, Jason, while you were talking, I looked it up. I love, I think I warned the three of you, I love to Google things, uh, interesting information from our guests. And I just found a factoid about Jamaican Blue Mountain Coffee. May I read this, Jason? I think you're going to enjoy this, yeah. okay? Jamaican Blue Mountain Coffee is a classification of coffee grown in the Blue Mountains of Jamaica. The best lots are noted for their mild flavor and lack of bitterness. Over the past few decades, this coffee has developed a reputation that has made it one of the most expensive 
and most sought-after coffees in the world. Here's the kicker. Over 80% of all Jamaican Blue Mountain coffee is exported to Japan. Did you know that, yeah. Jason? Yeah, and here's, that, the, yeah. here's what grabbed my attention. In addition to its use for brewed coffee, the beans are the flavor base of Tia Maria coffee liqueur. That's been mm, one of my I favorites Probably for 40 or more years, Tia Maria is just a lovely luxury. It's a lovely coffee-flavored liqueur. It's a beautiful thing. If you can find it in your liquor store, treat yourself to a little. I'm not paying, but you can go buy that. And uh, so so Jamaican Blue Mountain Coffee is the base of Tia Maria. So that brings it full circle for me. Jason, thank you very much for that. Uh, mentioning that coffee. We learned a lot. And now let's – Fred Yance. Fred, there's no challenge to you on coming up with something as exotic as what Jason said. We just want to know where you're calling from and what you're drinking. So, Fred Yens. Wow, it was a tough act to follow. Let me tell you. I know. Uh, <laughs> I am at the uh, in my office in Boca Raton, Florida, which is actually the uh, kind of the services headquarters for uh, Talit. We uh, have a bunch of developers, and the business front end is is, is here as well. Um, but I'm in my office, and I'm actually sipping on a uh, double espresso from uh, Nespresso, and you know. Uh, not as exotic as uh, as Blue Mountain, but I uh, I want to make sure we never run out of it. So our goal is to make sure we connect every coffee machine and look uh, to make sure that there's always inventory on hand. Ah, I like that. Now, when you say double espresso, is there a particular flavor that you use in your Nespresso pod? Any, or is, is it use, caffeinated? Uh, Decaf? No, it's definitely, it's always caffeinated, uh, usually oh, Roma. Roma, okay. I'm an espresso user as well. I'm going to look for Roma. I try to stay away from anything that's not decaf, but I'll tell you what I'm drinking in a few minutes. So thank you very much, Fred. It sounds wonderful to me. And Brian Hicks, you're in Germany. Where are you and what time of day and what are you drinking? So I am in Germany, yes, and uh, it is 4.20 in the afternoon here. I'm in my hotel room, and of course I was like, oh, this will be great. There'll be no disruptions at all, um, and they just brought my dry cleaning. So uh, <laughs> one disruption. Like, so what do you? They came to the door and they said, "Housekeeping." I said, "Ah, now's not a good time." <laughs> and, uh, so yes. And what are you drinking? What are you? What are you hoping to drink later? <laughs> yes. Um, so I am drinking San Pellegrino. That's my go-to. And okay. Very find in Europe. Is it? In the bottle, is it cold? Is it room temperature? Is it in between? Did it come out of the hotel fridge? Give me a little more. Yeah, so right now it is very flat because it's from yesterday. Not cold and almost oh. gone. But hopefully this <laughs> evening it will be cold, uh, fresh, and uh, in an ice glass. I'm very happy. You going to put any lemon or any flavoring in it? Any just straight out of the bottle? Yeah, maybe maybe a lime. Just jazz things up. Okay, well, we yeah, we got to get you into this jazz state of mind there. Very, very interesting. Uh, the three of you don't know me well, but I am only allowed to have water on radio show days. And today's a doubleheader radio show. We have another one at 2 o'clock this afternoon, Eastern Time. So it's cool, clear water and a cool, clear glass. And I have a green straw. Usually it's a yellow or pink straw hoping for sunshine. But it's sunny here in New York, which is wonderful. It's beautiful and cool. We're down in the mid-70s, I think. We abandoned summer temperatures very quickly. I'm not sure what the green stands for. Let's say the green will be for the success of building the Internet of Things. And I'll let the green color stand on its own. We are having a very lively discussion here all 
already. We barely scratched the surface of our topic. We're talking about building the IoT, Internet of Things. It takes a village. We won't say who said that, but uh, she just made a landmark landmark achievement in the history of American politics, and we'll leave that one on the table. We're talking to Jason Shepard at Dell, Fred Yentz at Telit, T-E-L-I-T, and Brian Hicks at SAP. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. We're going to take a quick break, so don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. When we come back, we'll start our roundtable in earnest with Jason Shepard at Dell. A lot of good information coming up, so I'll just say to our engineer, Justin, out. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. The pace of innovation is moving faster than ever, and the future of business will be defined by how quickly business leaders adapt to accelerated ongoing change. Insights from totally new sources of data, sensors that capture and share what is happening in your business environment, and the tools to understand it and act on it. These are shaping the definition of future success. Join our experts as they analyze and discuss how business leaders can shape the future of change. Internet of Things with Game Changers is presented by SAP. Visit www.sap.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Listening to Internet of Things with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Email your comments and questions to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the live show at Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to Internet of Things with Game Changers. Here we are. Welcome back. We're speaking with Jason Shepard at Dell, Fred Yentz at Telet, and I have a correction. Fred Yentz is the CEO of Telet IoT Platforms. Apologies for the wrong title, and shout out to all of your colleagues at Telet. I told you we'd fix it, Fred, and Brian Hicks at SAP. Our topic today is building the IoT. It didn't just happen. It needs to be built, and there's still a lot of work to do, and the subtitle is It Takes a Village. We're going to kick off the roundtable now with some comments from Jason Shepard. I'm going to introduce a couple of statements here from the notes he sent me before the show, and then we will ask Fred and Brian to chime in. So first of all, I'm just going to read one thing just as a back note, and then we'll, we'll get into the topic. Jason says, the Internet of Things is nothing new. Rather, it represents the tipping point when intelligent, connected solutions become accessible to the masses. Let's just leave that alone. And now here's where we want to go. At this early stage, customers often cite data integration to be a bigger challenge challenge than even security. That's a loaded statement, Jason. So why don't you pick that apart for us? And we're, we're talking about companies all over the world, I assume. So Jason, go ahead, and then we will invite your colleagues to chime in. Jason Shepard. Yeah, so, um, you know, we, we hear all the time from um, different customers. I mean, obviously, you know, this is a no way to downplay the security aspect. That's, um, that's uh, obviously paramount. But you know, just getting to data 
um, especially from from the super fragmented you know, edge components in an industrial IoT solution of just all the different you know, protocols um, that you know, IT has never heard of, whether it's you know, BACnet or Modbus or DNP3 or tying into you know, just all these different you know, Zigbee and, and uh, you, you name it. And the reason you know why you need you know, uh, gateways to go bridge to the back end. I mean that we hear is the number one challenge that last mile, if not the last few feet of a solution. Um, you know, I would argue that that all of the net new challenges with IoT are really really at the edge. You know, and that that goes not just you know, you know for the data integration side, but also the um, the security elements of you know having root of trust down to the sensor level and having you know devices that you know don't have like a username and password per se. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, able to identify themselves, so you know who you're talking to or what you're talking to. And so that's that's a big reason, you know, for us, like, you know, why we're approaching the market with with all this net new product around gateways and, and just you know embedded PCs and whatnot of, of like, how do I drive that, um, you know, the intelligence and the the IT credibility, the the the, the tool sets and the processing to be able to normalize all that data and then feed it in, you know, to the back end and then you know the traditional IT things you know, you know pick up. Um, the challenge with all of the data integration right now is that I mean, there's, there's, you know, clearly there's standards emerging, and we're participating in things, and, and a lot of our partners are as well, and that's great. And Brian alluded to, the, you know, the standards typically, typically lag, you know, but, but you know, you don't necessarily have to have some magical standard to solve all your problems, but by working together on common software frameworks that, mm-hmm. that you know, aggregate standards and, and different you know connectivity ecosystems. That can bridge the gap, but you you can't be doing it in silos because I mean today I mean look at how many platforms we have. There's there's hundreds and hundreds of, of platforms, and if you say you had 300 platforms out there that are connecting end to end, you probably have about 290 driver libraries. You know everyone's creating driver libraries, you know to connect to things. It's opportunistic, which is fine, but it creates this fear of getting locked in, you know, from customers that you know they they just like I don't know if this is the right choice. So maybe I'm just going to wait until people figure it out, and that that tends to stall, you know, progress. But so if we can partner and get behind more common, you know, core frameworks, and then you know, uh, innovate around that, then at least that that common nucleus will be um, uh, allow you to, you know, reduce the switching cost from from one to the next. So. That, that's that's where we we really think that you know we we need to not necessarily wait for all the standards to be figured out, but figure out how we can work together to deal with the data in, in, integration. And then I'd come back to security. Once you have that data integration, um, you know, uh, more of a baseline that that everyone's kind of revolving around through, through these this, this this collaboration. Now I have consistent behavior that I can secure and manage. If you if you can't do that, if you're kind of hacking things you know together one at a time just to get to market. Um, how do I have predictable behavior that I can secure? And so that's why we think that the data integration is, is so important and, and, and working together on that side of it to give you a more consistent baseline for the rest. Thank you very much. Very interesting. Let's turn to Fred Jens. Fred, would you agree or disagree in, in talking about the, the challenges of data integration versus the challenges of security? Do you agree with how Jason has positioned those in terms of the ecosystem and building the IoT? So first of all, uh, generally, I agree with the problem set. We've been doing this for about 25 years, way before they even thought of the acronym IoT. It was actually before the I we started this, Um, and we started at the edge. So Jason's right. Um, There are 
so many different assets, so many different things, so many different protocols, so many different industries. So it's a collection and a mismatch of so many disparate pieces and parts at the edge. Um, you know, a refrigerator isn't anything like a car. They need to talk differently, right? This is an extreme example. A, you know, find my dog is a location service. It's not like keep the power on. But these are all things in this collection of assets that we will ultimately make available from a alarms, events, and data point of view to create value, right? Ultimately, it's to get that stuff from the edge and get it up into the, the top end where decisions can be made and value can be created and convenience can be found. So we don't, we don't subscribe to the fact that we need to tell the public how hard this is. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, to the quote that was made, it needs to become invisible. Uh, IoT is a, is a big set of things. It's networks of networks. Um, it's wireless. It's wired. It's Bluetooth. It's Wi-Fi. But generally speaking, it doesn't matter. I, I jokingly say we'd use pigeons if we could train them to carry packets. Um, things will be connected a lot of ways, and there's going to be lots of winners in the network space. And it's a platform of platforms. Uh, we're going to feed uh, all kinds of different platforms, whether they're social media platforms, whether they're you know SAP ERP backends to run a company better. Uh, you know, there's a variety. So this. This level of complexity at each of these layers is really why we believe that you need to have a set of, of platforms. And we put this set of platforms together that we call basically our portal. And it's kind of neat because we want to give the customers a nice shiny surface to sort of look into what they can do with IoT and not necessarily worry about the complexities underneath. That's our job as an industry insider community to work together to give customers and integrators more of this shiny surface. So, you know, working with companies like Dell on the on the southbound side next to the gateway and working with companies like SAP on the northbound side to make great decisions and outcomes is where we fit in. So I do subscribe to the problem, um, but I also subscribe to the fact that the ecosystem of players the people that are in the know have to stop talking publicly outside to the user community about how hard and difficult it is because we as a community have to make it easy, and that's the goal. We have to make it invisible. Yeah, that's a Thank big you. part of the, you know, um, yeah. you know, I think you know, the partnerships is that you, you it, it helps to mask it. I totally agree. Like you, you've got to reduce that noise because if you're an outsider, Coming in like a potential customer, and you look at the the, the landscape and, and the potential complexities. It's just like, my God, like what do I do with this? It's paralyzing. So you might just do nothing. Ultimately, yeah, there's no magic app. Yeah, ultimately, and there's no magic standard. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Totally Thank agree. you. And I want to make sure we get Brian Hicks in here. Brian, that wasn't you just talking, was it? I want to make sure we get your POV in here. No. Yeah. So I I definitely agree with getting the data is a very challenging part. A little bit of a different slant on that, though, one, one thing that we've seen, irrespective of protocols and, and that, those, those sometimes are the easier things to solve, to Fred's point. We've, we've had an issue with who owns the data. So in the, in the old days, you had a, everything was on site, on premise, and it was connected, but it wasn't connected to the internet. But now we've had several engagement with, with customers where we've you know, been pretty far down the road and then it said, oh, we can't do this because we don't own this data coming from this machine. The manufacturer does. 
And so that's, that's another um, level of, of something to be aware of is who owns this data, um, not just how do I integrate it, and is it clean data, right? Is it data that's going to bring me something meaningful? Hmm. Brian, let's go back to, thank you, let's go back to Jason's opening comment here talking about the, the I was trying to find a juxtaposition here between the data integration challenge versus security. What's your thought? Where does security come into that, that concern, or shall we call it, I'm going to name this the worry spectrum. What do you think? My, my thought on security is that it always lags innovation. And so if you don't get the data integrated, then you don't have a security problem because the data is not flowing anywhere. And I think we have started to see enough security breaches that people are starting to worry about that. But I think people's overwhelming concern is, is how do I get this connected? And then once they have issues with security, then they'll start worrying in more earnest about that. So whether the importance of, of integration versus security is, is in that order... Uh, I don't know, but the certainly the priority of customers, it seems to be integration is a is a higher priority and bigger challenge than, than security. Interesting. Yeah, Jason, I, mean, I think I heard it. you. Yeah, oh, go ahead. yeah, absolutely. And we see it as neck and neck. And, of course, you know, our, you know, our, our, our big part of our play here from an infrastructure standpoint for IoT is, is our credibility with things like security and manageability. But, you know, I mean, and, and applying, you know, the tools that we have and, and our partners' tools to go, you know, build that that into the solution from the beginning, but you also just, you know, as we we're talking about, you've got to get to that first point of just getting the data flowing. You know, make sure things are connected, understand who owns what, and do the security right along the way. But but we definitely consistently hear that it's just like, how do I make it work first is the challenge, and how do I not get locked in um, so that I can pick the best tools for for each use case that I want to do. Interesting. Okay. Anybody want to chime in on that before I move to something in Fred Yens's notes? Tell it. Anybody? I think we've exhausted that part of the topic. Let me move on. Fred, I want to talk about the human side. We're going to talk about innovation. I'm looking at your third topic down here. You say innovation can be found at many levels. More often than not, it is a collection of smart people thinking outside of the box. So let's elevate this above data integration, above standards, above security challenges, and talk about innovation. Is this where the ecosystem comes into? It takes a village. Uh, who is thinking outside? Whose job is this? Is it the data scientist? Is it the millennial on a team of a company that says, yeah, our future is linked indelibly to IoT? Who is going to be doing this innovation, and how much more can we have, Fred? Well, I don't think there's ever a stop to the amount of innovation you can have. That that would be a very non-innovative way of thinking. But um, I'll tell you, I think it's a lot of different actors and participants. Um, what I love to do, uh, you know, when you think about IoT, and I'll tell you, the public awareness of IoT is, I think, notably there. Um, you know, I said I've been in the industry in technology for many, many years, you know, more than I'd like to admit, and frequently my family members would never know what I did. And now they know what IoT is because they see it on primetime TV, whether it's, you know, brilliant machines from GE or Internet of Everything or, you know, several years ago, IBM had the Smarter Planet uh, experiences that were these infomercials and commercials on TV. So the awareness is there. So boards and, and, and management teams are thinking about how they can innovate their business, but they aren't necessarily drawing the lines between what they can do today with 
data as is, you know, business as usual, or what they can do with maybe new insights from real-time data or analytics. So I love talking to customers and to, to innovators about use cases. It all begins and ends ultimately with cool ways to do something new, and it's usually around a new experience or a new use case. So it's kind of the design thinking concept. How do I make something better, and what will that use case be, and what kind of information, if I had it, would make that use case possible? And you know, everybody talks about IoT, and there is, I, I was the one that jumped in at the end of the last discussion, there mm-hmm. is no magic app, and there is no perfect standard. There's a lot of there's a lot of variability in how you get to kind of solving that innovative piece. But, and it's a cycle. You know, think big, start small. When people see data or information or insights that they never saw before and they can make a new decision on their business or on their experience, immediately, almost instantaneously, they come up with the next idea. If I can get this, I can get that. And if I can get that, I can get the next thing. And my business is going to change. And the, the rate of change and the fact that so much of this is you know, cloud-based and dynamic and, and it is capable of changing quickly and modifying for the better, um, you know, I think this, this evolution of thinking and innovation is going to increase uh, you know, at, a, at a pace that is going to be unimaginable for people. And it's a lot of different actors in mm-hmm. that discussion. That, that's very, very interesting. Brian, I'm going to circle around to you first, and then we'll go back around the table to Jason Shepard and Dell. Mm-hmm. Brian Hicks, thoughts on what Fred just introduced? Very provocative. Yeah, I think uh, going back to the original question around collaboration and collaboration between companies to drive innovation, I, I think one part of collaboration between companies is it's always collaboration between individuals. They may work at those companies, but the the collaboration occurs down at that individual level. And I've always found that even even when on paper, it seemed like, oh, this this partnership between these companies was, you know, match made in heaven. If the if the right individuals on each side of the fence aren't willing to to innovate and think creatively, because there's always challenges with partnerships in between two companies, then you never really bear the fruit that you you wish you'd gotten from that partnership, um, because it really comes down to that individual relationship and the and the creative power of, of those that are directly involved in the in the partnership to bring it to bear. Thank you very much, Brian, Jason, Shepard, Adele. What do you think? Agree or disagree? Uh, yeah, I totally agree, and, and you know, uh, you just the whole need of, of, of focusing on use cases and applications, and 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 you know, how do you add value, and and making sure that um, you know you don't lead with necessarily the technology, but it's like what are you trying to do with it, and and then you know, there's all these different trends that are that are really driving the innovation around. Uh, you know, of course, there's people want to be more efficient, and there's there's regulation that's coming in. Those are those are always good. Things to go after, where basically you know people love to uh, yeah I say people love to save money, but they hate to get fined. So mm-hmm. you know you go, go after things that help with compliance, and and then there's obviously increasing environmental concerns. You know uh, you've got trends like IT departments that that are looking to become profit centers instead of cost centers, and, and so so how do you go work together? You know from from like an operations or an OT group with an IT group, and, and you know drive that convergence. 
um, consumer expectations are, are coming into uh, you know like into the, the workplace and, and um, you know expect those same experiences. So that's all the stuff that really is kind of hitting the tipping point of that you know the need to innovate. But you've got to start with with the, the, right, the right use cases. And you know I'd also say that that this is another reason for us to, to you know the importance of the collaboration is that it's very difficult for an, an end customer to you know, sometimes really understand or believe that they're going to get the same ROI as the next person that did the same thing. You know, you got to get them to take the leap of faith and, and, and understand, you know, hey, you know, you, you can save this, and that's why, or do this, or get this better experience. Um, that's why these case studies are so important, and sharing successes, with, you know, with the people that are willing to share it to help that, um, you know, help people understand the value and get, get off that, but also totally agree um, with what you know, Fred was saying, with with a uh, big part of our philosophy as well is you know start small and then and, and build fast and then grow. You know you you don't want to bite off too much at one time. It's easy to, to you know kind of dream about all the different things you can do, but you know start with small pockets and then grow it out and then rapidly innovate. And every idea you know it's kind of the back to that music example I, I, I um, given is every idea you kind of can riff off of and, and continue to innovate. And it's done best with partnerships and collaboration. You know, Thank Bonnie, you. From, yes. you know, I want to just add something there. Um, you know, tell it just as a point of reference, we are an end-to-end enabler. We're not the folks that actually do the end app. We're not the people that actually build the sensor. So we'll help people instrument things, connect things, and prepare them to be used in the application layer. So we we are absolutely reliant on an ecosystem of people to make this work in their space. But, you know, again, back to what I think was said earlier, you know, people need to be collaborating with people they trust and know and understand. Um, You know, people buy from people they like. People buy brands and they buy products they love. So, you know, we got to make this experience an educational one. We need to let people know the art of the possible. And if they know the art of the possible, they can apply IoT to their business. They're the subject matter experts. When something is going to affect every vertical in every service like IoT can, you know, again, no one company can become the subject matter expert of all those use cases. So we need to bring in the people that participate in those verticals that may know nothing about telecommunications or computing, right? They might clean uh, public, uh, public, public uh, event spaces. They're cleaning companies. We need to show them how sensory technology can make their job easier and their services more loved and endeared by their customers. So it's an education, but it's a soft it's not selling. It's again. It's talking about the art of the possible, in providing Thank that you. that level of insight. Thank you very much. And I'm going. To, I'm looking at the clock. We have about five minutes before we go to our predictions, crystal ball predictions round. I want to make sure we get some notes from Brian Hicks here. He prepared a lot of interesting stuff for us. Brian, we've talked a little bit about IoT security, but you've got a couple of things here called safety issues in your notes. I want to give you a chance to bring these up and let's talk about this, please, in the context of whose job is it to look after 
to be mindful of to take care of these safety issues when it comes to IoT? It's one thing to say we need standards, one thing to say we need collaboration, one thing to say we need innovation. But on the other side, when blank, 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 IT, well, no, when blank, blank, IT happens, we know what that bad word is, I can't say on the show. When that happens, whose job is it to fix it, to backtrack, to make sure it doesn't happen again, to say, oops, we're sorry. So safety issue comes to mind. Talk to us about the gas sensors and, and uh, take it anywhere you want. Brian Hicks, please. Yeah, absolutely. So um, part of what I wrote in my comments was that you know, it's, it's a really terrible thing when your, your bank account gets hacked or your, you, know, you lose your Social Security number due to some breach. It's a whole different level of risk when it's, you know, it's your car that gets hacked or it's the power grid that gets hacked, right? These are, these are things that not only affect identity and money but, but people's lives you know, at stake. And, and it's interesting when you, you brought up the point about who's responsible. Um, just last night at dinner, we were talking about um, the Malaysian airline crash. Mm-hmm. And apparently right after it happened, there was just this flurry of activity to try and get at the data from the black box. And, you know, because you have so many different players involved. You've got the airplane manufacturer, you have the airline, you have the country it went down in, the country it originated from. And so what law applies in this case, right? There's, mm-hmm. there's so much, so many different things at play. And I think the challenge with the safety concerns from IoT, just as I mentioned that security always lags innovation, legislation comes after standards, right? Legislation always seems to be the very last thing that comes at play. So I think it really is going to need to be companies that um, are worried about their brands that make sure that safety gets gets taken care of in these cases because legislation will be will be too late, in my opinion. Brian, thank you for that thoughtful response. I'm going to go around and ask Jason and Fred to comment. But first, Brian, is there such a thing in the C-suite around that big table that seems to be just getting bigger and bigger? The more shows we do, it seems more more groups, more teams are saying, we belong at the table. We belong on the strategy-making, policy-making sessions of the company. Is there such a thing as a chief IoT officer yet? I, I don't think so. And I personally, I don't think there should be. I think that IoT should be woven into a business's strategy at the core, um, and and similar to how there shouldn't be a, a chief API strategist or a chief social officer. Or I think these these are all technology enablers, and they should be fit into how you enable the business and not become kind of animals in their own right. Hmm. Okay, that's interesting. Jason Shepard Adell, thoughts on safety, security, privacy, IoT chief, IoT officer. What do you think? All of the above. So yeah, I mean, I, I mean, absolutely. You know, security um, top of mind at the, at the end of the day. Um, we talked about data integrations, of course. You know, paramount at the end of the day is security. Um, I like to talk about security usability. Um, you know, if you apply too much, too many tools for the, the use case where it doesn't matter, like where, where you don't have actuation coming back or, or like it's not a vehicle or, or, or some big piece of moving machinery when bad things happen, you know, then it hinders adoption. So you've got to find the right, it's kind of like right-sizing the different security tools that you can build on top of your solution or, in, you know, into the very core of your solution um, for that given application. 
And the key there is that you have to be working with people that know what they're doing. There's no magical singular feature that solves security problems. It's a sum of the parts. And, and, and applying those tools are critical. And that's, you know, a big part for Dell is, is, you know, we want to be able to help our, our customers and our other partners and, 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 um, you figure out how to go apply those tools so that you go, um, you know, uh, you address the, the security in, in the right way for um, you know, that use case. You know, consumer, we're seeing a lot of the, the breaches because a, either the developers don't know, know what they're doing. B, it's sort of that instant gratification thing of like, well, I'm going to make it easy to bypass everything from a security standpoint, it's like password return, 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 so that people can get up and running, and then things happen. And so it's finding that sweet spot between the instant gratification and the usability, but also applying the right, you know, uh, security measures for, for, for your application. So, um, you know, finding that, that balance is going to be the key, you know, that we, that we think. And, you know, ultimately it's, it's you know, the responsibility of the, the p- provider that's deploying that solution to go um, make sure that they're working with the right partners to, to, to cover their bases and, and protect the, uh, the end user. Um, in terms of security, officer, I, mean, I, I do, we do see a trend, you know, where where it's becoming people's jobs. I mean, it's like CIOs are coming down and saying, "Hey, I, I, I see, see the benefits here. You know, it's now your job to go figure this out." Um, you know, we're, so we're definitely starting to see it. You know, you know, not just from the you know tire kicking kind of standpoint, but where people are mm-hmm. moving past it. Like, I need to understand. You know, it's your job, um, whether it's their title or not, and it's now their job to like go figure it out. And so, um, you know, we are seeing some trends there. Thank you, Jason. I'm going to have to move this along to Fred because we're technically already into our predictions round. Fred, let me give you just 30 seconds to comment, if you don't mind, on what we've been talking about, security, safety, and then I'm going to circle back to Jason, then Fred and Brian. I can give you each about 45 seconds for predictions. Fred, quickly, what do you think? Quickly, security and safety are are in paramount, and IoT can be used to enhance those. IoT isn't necessarily just another surface of threat. It's actually tools to make things more secure and more safe. That's point one. We need to think in the positive. Point two, uh, IoT is the blending of the physical world with the IT world. So it's OTIT, and there really isn't a good title for the middle of that. Maybe it's a chief innovation officer, but the IT guy frequently doesn't have the respect to OT, and the OT guys don't have the respect of IT. So maybe in the first five years of this uh, next uh, evolution, there might be a, a chief IoT officer because it carves out that space, but over time it probably needs to fall right back into the organization, but there, there needs to be champions to drive this change. Interesting. Thank you very much. Appreciate that. Very provocative. I wish we had more time to talk more. Jason Shepard Dell, I can give you 45 seconds for your predictions. Fast forward to any time in the future you want. I like 2020. You can pick any time. What will be different about this conversation? Will we still be calling it the IoT? Will we have a better name? Jason Shepard Dell, predictions, go. Yeah, so I mean, I, I think you know, ultimately, it's about the applications. I mean, whether we call it IoT or not, I and mean, IoT or not, it's about just getting the value and. Um, you know, we're going to see very clear use cases, uh, you know, definitely customer adoption, a lot of movement with SaaS and, and kind of turning CapEx into OpEx. I think we're going to see a lot happening with IT and OT convergence as we get pressure from both sides. Um, and that's where, we, you know, we want to go help together with our partners to drive that. Um, you know, we always say start with limited stakeholder complexity, start small, build fast. I think in that 2020 time frame, you're going to really start seeing acceleration where this intranet of value connects to this intranet of value, and you start building, you know, that true 
mean, it's not really ever going to be the intranet of things. It'll be increasingly larger intranets. And in that four-year time frame is when we think we, we start seeing that true sharing economy starting up, um, monetizing data as it comes across, you know, from, from one, you know, pod to the next. You know, ultimately where this is headed is here's my data. I, I apply rights to it, and I send it out there, and it comes with some, like a bill, and you can buy it on the spot. Yeah, but, you know, that's not going to happen in that time frame, but that's kind of where we're headed. So it, it'll be interesting to see it play out, but we definitely see, you know, the, the, the real traction and, and, and swim lanes starting up in that, in that four-year time frame. Thank you very much, Fred Yentz. At Tell It, I can give you, oh, 45 seconds or less real fast. Predictions, go. Let's look at the next generation. Let's go to 2020, 20, or excuse me, 2030, 2035. People are going to look at this space and they're going to understand the level of convenience that they experience every day and they will not imagine how we lived without it. They probably won't know the term IoT, but it will be basically mm-hmm. a connected environment that adapts the context of their desires and schedules with the environment. And it's truly going to be merging the physical obstacles and world we live in today with how we need to plan our day and our schedule. And I think the convenience level is going to be so high, they won't get it. My, my youngest daughter couldn't believe they used to have telephones attached to walls with cords. <laughs> you know what? Yeah. I went to buy a new desk phone at Staples, and half the display models had cords again. The curly wires. I was in shock. Absolutely. Tell her to go to Staples. Brian Hicks, 30 seconds predictions. We're out of time. Please go ahead fast. I'm very much with Fred on this one. I hope, like the quote that I shared at the beginning, that the technology disappears into the background and people don't talk about, ooh, should we enable this with IoT? Like, should we connect this to the Internet? Everything will be connected and it will just be, you know, a seamless part of the, the life we live. Thank you. Seamless part of the life we live. Parting words. Gentlemen, Jason Shepard at Dell, Fred Yens at Tellit, Brian Hicks at SAP, thank you so much. And we had a lot of tweeters. Thank you, wherever you are. IoT Security 2, you've got an egg instead of a picture. Go put us a picture in. Let us know who you are. We had people from Dell OEM, Dell Alliances. Thank you, everyone, and appreciate it. I'm Bonnie D. Graham, and here's my call to action. Fasten your seatbelt. Whether it's connected or not, just buckle up. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today. Have a good one. Talk to you at 2 p.m. Eastern right here on the Business Channel with our new series, Changing the Game with HR. Do CHROs who are at the table need to have a new conversation? For now, bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Internet of Things with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter, hashtag SAPRADIO. Please join host Bonnie D. Graham again on Thursdays at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.
Join Voice America as we broadcast live from Pitbull's 40th National Hard Money Conference in Las Vegas, Nevada. The broadcast will feature interviews of the speakers, presenters, and changemakers in the hard money real estate world. For more information about the Pitbull Conference, visit pitbullconference.com. This is a one-day event for real estate professionals spotlighting on private money financing. Join the Voice America live events team and tune in Thursday, June 2nd at 7 a.m. Pacific, 10 a.m. Eastern on our live events page at voiceamerica.com forward slash live events. This is Rick Osick, president of Famous Footwear. Our company is working